Welcome to the weekly teaching podcast of the chapel at Pasadena. Our desire is to reflect the grace and truth of Jesus Christ to Los Angeles and the world, and one way we do this is by sharing God's Word through our weekly sermons. Here is today's message. Good evening. We read this passage earlier. You might have been distracted by how adorable our children were. So let's read it together again. A reading from the second chapter of Luke, verses 1 through 21. In those, de- in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them, concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who was sent and the one who has come. We want to learn of him. We want to encounter him, to know him, and to be changed by him. As we contemplate your word, as we think of the history of these events which occurred so long ago, would you be present with us by the power of the Holy Spirit to open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our hearts to be changed, that the name of Jesus Christ may be exalted in our city, in our country, all over the world. Be with our brothers and sisters who are celebrating this day all over the globe. Give them grace, give them strength. May the name of Jesus redound from one end of the earth to the other. Glory to God in the highest. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, my wife and I 
this past week, participated in one of our annual Christmas rituals, probably shared by a few of you. We did a rewatch of that 1954 Bing Cosby classic, White Christmas, a movie which has uh, entered the pantheon of great Christian uh, great Christmas, excuse me, movies, despite the fact that it barely has anything to do with Christmas. Now, the opening song is White Christmas. This song then repeats at the very end. Okay? In between these two repetitions of White Christmas, which incidentally, there's like no Christian content in White Christmas at all. It's just a song about how he wished it would snow on Christmas. But anyway, in between these two repetitions of the song White Christmas, we have a song about how great blue skies are, a song about the importance of sisterhood. It's one of my favorites. Uh, A song about how great snow is. We're kind of getting into the Christmas area with that one, but not really. A song about how great vaudeville is. A song about counting your blessings. Vaguely Christmassy, I guess. My favorite song, a song about how great, how how modern choreography has ruined dancing. A song about how sad generals are when they retire. A song about how May-December romances are problematic. And finally, a song about how great life was in the army. Isn't that just like scream Christmas to you? Uh, We've talked throughout uh, this um, Advent series that we've been doing, this uh, series in which we've been looking at uh, births, right? Because in in Genesis, God promised that he was going to save through the offspring of a woman. That in the fullness of time, a son was going to be born. So we've been looking at these uh, different births, different sons that were born that were like shining light. Light was increasing as, as we understood in a deeper and deeper way what it would mean when the promise was fulfilled, when, when the one that was the true offspring of Eve, born to her counterpart, the Virgin Mary, when he was born, what would that mean? Now, we've talked in this series, uh, we've kind of, some of, one of the themes that we've been looking at is like sort of the difference between what the culture is telling us about Christmas or what, sort of what, what Christmas has become as, as a secular holiday. If you think all the way back in November, um, I, I talked about this Ebenezer Scrooge, the Christmas Carol story. Now, that was written in the 1800s by Charles Dickens. And it was, it was the first real attempt to make a universal Christmas story, a story that everybody could kind of read and enjoy in a Christmassy way, that really had no um, like relation to the actual story of Christmas. So you don't, you don't even have to know anything about uh, the meaning of Christmas as a, re- a Christian religious holiday, and you can enjoy a Christmas carol. Now, I'm not, I, I don't want to, I'm not into like the, uh, you know, culture war, war on Christmas stuff. I'm not like, I don't want to get you all riled up about that sort of thing at all. I'm just saying that like, it, it's, a, it's a verifiable fact. In 1954, 100 years after A Christmas Carol, we have this movie, White Christmas, which is a Christmas movie that's, it's not even barely about Christmas at all. The, the, the actual content has kind of been, been taken out. Now, what has been put into its place? That's, that's one of the things that we've been looking at. And I, I think that what's been put into Christmas is inferior 
to what Christmas really means. It's not only inferior, but it's actually almost the, not almost, it is the opposite of what Christmas means. Now, we look at the Christmas story, the one we just read. Of course, this is, uh, you know, such a familiar story. I'm sure that um, you've probably already uh, read it or, or uh, heard it uh, even in the last couple weeks as we've been building up to Christmas Day. But a, a couple things that you should notice about it. Okay, a couple things to notice about it. First of all, this is a Christmas story that's written in a historical way. Luke is writing a work of history. If you're, if you're a first reader of this, if, if you're like, you know, back in the first century and you, you heard that your friend Luke wrote a, a story about Jesus and you open it up and read it, but the format that it would have is like a, hi, a history, a work of history that you, you'd recognize certain like contextual clues in the way it was written that would mark it as he's writing history. He's not writing like a new myth for a new religion. He's not writing, uh, you know, it's not like a, a metaphor. It's, uh, you know, it's not something that, that about the, you know, these, these kind of inarticulate meaning of Christmas. This is actual history, and it's written that way. He locates it at a specific time and place. He talks about uh, verifiable historical events that his audience, would, it would be within their living memory. Things that had happened in their lifetime or that their, their fathers and grandfathers knew about. And, and he's, he's locating it within that time period. This is, is it's real history that we're talking about here, not myths. <clears throat> not a metaphor, not a, not a vague sort of thing that we can gather around to celebrate other things like family or togetherness or something like that. This is an event. <clears throat> There's particularity to it. Now, second, second thing we see in this is that this event is like cataclysmic. It's earth-shattering. At the moment in which this happens, like the skies light up. Something invades the natural world. God is like reaching down and touching the earth. These events are, you know, they're historical but they're also earth-shattering in their significance. Attention is drawn to it. Another thing we can notice in this about Christmas, Christmas is an unexpected event. Now you'd think, we've been talking about how Christmas is the fulfillment of thousands and thousands of years of promises and prophecies, and yet when it comes, it comes in an unexpected way. None of it proceeds how we've been trained to expect, how we would think it should happen. The person chosen to bear the child is an unremarkable rural virgin engaged to a man of no particular significance from a backwater region in a province remote from the centers of world power. Born not in a palace, but in the guest room. Actually, not in the guest room, but in the common room. By the way, just as a a side note, that word in it should probably be translated like, like a guest room. It's very unlikely. Joseph is going back to where his family is from. It's very unlikely that he would have to look for an inn. Inns were not very common in those days anyway. And inns would not be inside the city. Inns would be like on the crossroads. So this is not an inn, despite what our text says. This is a guest room. Uh, Joseph's in his family's house. Every room is filled. There's no room for this procedure that needs to happen. They go to the biggest room they could find, the common room a room that was also like kind of doubled as a, a storage place for uh, your animals. The weather was bad. You take them into this room. 
Is that how you would expect God to enter the world? <clears throat> then when, when the angels announce it, who do they go to announce it to? Not to the emperor. By the way, the emperor at this time was the most powerful Roman emperor in all of history. One of the most powerful human beings that's ever lived. Caesar Augustus, Octavian, creator of the Roman Empire. Who do the angels go to announce it to? To him? The man who wielded unparalleled authority and power on earth? No. They go to anonymous, powerless shepherds. Why does God do it that way? This event, like, history is being turned upside down by what God has done. If you were inventing a story about the birth of a God as a man, you would not say these things. <clears throat> the fourth, fourth thing we can see. Christmas is about the fulfillment of God's promises. God's promises. Now, here's where uh, I think we need to deviate somewhere from the rule. We need to articulate what is the message that our Christmas movies send us? What do we hear? We've talked about, I, I read uh, last week, uh, last Sunday, the, uh, the great Christmas song. Uh, you know, he's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. So this is, this is the message of Christmas, right? If you are good enough, if you've done enough good to counteract the bad that you've done, then you will receive a reward. That's sort of the message we tell our children about Christmas. Uh, is that what the promise of Christmas is in the Bible? Is that why Jesus has come? Has Jesus come to help you do enough good things to compensate for the bad things that you have done? But again, Christmas is, is sort of about, uh, if you think of all the, 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 the great Christmas movies that you've seen, Christmas is like about people rediscovering the goodness of like togetherness, unity, family, rediscovering how we can make this world better if we would just do things differently. And, and by encountering this vague Christmas spirit, we're changed and we, we do things differently. We, we act more lovingly. We value things more rightly. Instead of being obsessed with our materialistic jobs, we go and find, you know, the, the rural man who lives in the, you know, the barn, and we, we rediscover uh, the sort of uh, the goodness of pastoral existence. What, you know, whatever, you know, guys know what I'm talking about when you see these movies. The point of what I'm saying is that uh, Christmas in the, in the imagination, in the secular culture that we live in, this sort of de-religified Christmas, what it wants to offer you is something good and better here. Hope for this life and this world. I remember when, it, when I was a kid, it was always like, like I loved Christmas time. But the, the moment of killjoy was like church Christmas. You know, that's, that's when things got boring. I'm looking out at some of our kids out there, maybe they're, maybe they're feeling the same way right now. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like Christmas was like, it was like offering this exciting, interesting thing. What did God offer at Christmas? What did God give? If Christmas is going to be a time of hope, 
a time of joy, then it has to be so for those who have no hope here in this world. It has to be a time of hope for those who can anticipate nothing from this life. For those who are disappointed with themselves, disappointed with how life has gone. Those that are in pain, those that are suffering. For whom some sort of encounter with you know, the ghost of Christmas past is not going to solve the problems that they have. I always think of Ebenezer Scrooge about three months later. Is he still giving away Christmas turkeys to everyone three months later? Or has he discovered the persistent power of sin in his heart that hasn't been changed by some sort of temporary epiphany? What can Christmas mean to him? What does God do in the event of Christmas? What does it mean as the fulfillment of a promise that goes all the way back to the garden, all the way back to the moment when man sinned. At that moment, the son was promised. The son was anticipated. The son was pointed to. That son that is born in this earth-shattering, unexpected, world-turned-upside-down event is a promise that has to do with sin, death, suffering, sorrow. Everything that has come into the world through sin. The hope and joy is brought, culminates in Christmas. Because the sun is born. The sun grows up. The sun suffers. And the sun dies. The message of Christmas is not, if you can do good enough things, you will find hope. The message of Christmas is, God is, is like, counting for your sin in the gift of the Son. You can do nothing. You need do nothing. And the hope that is offered, brothers and sisters, it's not a hope for a better life here on earth. I hope that this Christmas time is a time of joy, of family togetherness, of all the wonderful things that we celebrate in in the sort of secularized Christmas. I do not think those things are bad. I hope that you learn to love your neighbor better and value family over material possessions. That's wonderful messages. I hope you find that. I hope. But, but that will happen only as you're transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, the hope that is offered there is a hope that sits side by side with every suffering person here on earth. When you are disappointed and when your hope dies, Christmas is there. Because Christmas is the birth of the one who is going to renew the world. Those promises, they're looking forward. They're looking ahead. The birth of Jesus is the beginning. The end comes at his second advent when he returns. The world is made new and all sorrow suffering, every bit of pain is wiped off from the face of the earth. That's what we hope for. That's what this holiday means. Amen? Let's pray together.
Thank you for listening to the weekly teaching podcast of the chapel at Pasadena. We are a church on a mission to revive believers, reach friends, and reflect Christ. If you would like more information about our church, visit www.chapelpasadena.com or email us at info at chapelpasadena.com.